Good morning. Welcome to Conversations with Cassie. I'm Cassie, your host for the show. We missed getting the show out last week. I apologize for that, but my baby girl had a really rough weekend and week, and as all of you know, baby girls take precedence. So this week, we are going to discuss Hycos Pharaohs of Egypt. I came across an article discussing how the Hycos Pharaohs gained power. If you'd like to read it, the abstract of the study can be found on Stone Pages, part of Archaeology Magazine. I will try to link the article in the episode notes. For those of you who may not know much about the High Coast, we will discuss a little of the commonly known and accepted facts about them and then introduce some debated theories. It is primarily agreed upon that the High Coast were foreign rulers. In part, the supposition is based on the use of the title High Coast, which according to most scholars means foreign or outsider in the ancient Egyptian language. The debate is whether the High Coast were true foreigners or just outsiders to the royal family. It seems logical based on the known information that the high coast were truly foreign to Egypt. Also, it can be noted that certain behaviors on the royal or national level seem to be able to be divided into pre and post high coasts. In pre-Hycos Egypt, you see a society that has gained affluence and prominence in the region without the primary use of force or warfare. Some scholars attribute this to several factors, one of which is the sophistication of their culture, another is the almost defensive isolation of the Nile River corridor. You have deserts to the east and west, mountains to the south, and sea to the north. Within Egyptian culture, especially in the pre-Hycos era, is a practice referred to as ma'at. Ma'at is defined as the concept, practice, or belief of doing good or right solely because that is the right or good thing to do. This belief was central to all aspects of Egyptian culture, and the importance of this ancient belief can be seen surviving through all pharaonic Egypt and the weighing of the heart in the trials as the soul tried to gain immortality. Certain scholars believe this practice at the royal level can account for the interconnections between Egyptian and Jewish peoples. While there is debate as to specifically what types and kinds of relations historically existed versus biblical accounts, it is not debated that the relations, in fact, existed. One such difference would be the existence of the whole Jewish population as slaves in Egypt. These scholars suggest instead that the Jewish population were, in fact, refugees graciously accepted into Egypt during drought and famine in their pastoral lands. This is not to say that Egypt did not have slaves, as slavery was part of all cultures at the time. It is also documented that foreigners entered Egypt for the purpose of offering their services, even as slaves, to improve their living conditions. However, there is no evidence documenting any warfare or other expedition to collect and enslave the Jewish community, or any community in its entirety. In addition, while caravans entered Egypt, some to sell slaves, some of which were probably taken by force for the profit of the caravan merchants, there again exists no historical evidence that there were any independent military groups capturing whole societies and selling them into slavery. That activity would have required the support, organization, and resources of established nations of might. 
which would have kept the people as slaves for their own benefit to ensure the productivity of the land acquisition, which would have been the primary purpose of such military actions. And again, there are currently no known accounts of such actions regarding Egypt and the Jewish people. Now you might be wondering why I have focused on Egyptian-Jewish relations and interactions. That is because there is one theory that suggests that the Hycospherers were, in origin, of Jewish ethnicity. There also exist several theories that these peoples we now refer to as Jewish were mercenaries who hired their services out to the highest bidder. How might this relate to our story? There was a time in ancient history of the Eastern Mediterranean region, approximately between the 13th and 11th centuries BC, of great imperial upheaval. Many nations crumbled. Some even disappeared from the historic record. The source of this upheaval seems to be an incursion of seafaring invaders of unknown origin wreaking havoc in the various lands. As we have stated, the nation of Egypt was not a military superpower, so would have needed assistance in protecting their land, especially the Nile Delta area, from these violent incursions. This would be the stage set for these Jewish mercenaries to find well-paying work in basically a land of plenty. As the theory goes, these mercenaries put down roots in the Nile Delta area of Egypt, some gaining renown, influence, and affluence within Egyptian hierarchy. This would have created unsatisfied ambitions within the group. Here's where things get contested, debated, and clouded. It is not clear exactly how the Hycos pharaohs claimed the throne, only that they did. When the Hycos pharaohs ruled, we see tensions within Egypt, including division of the land into separate nations of Upper and Lower Egypt. We also see increased military presence within Egypt and a development of a strong standing army. Some of these things remain even after the reunification of Egypt and the exit of the high coast rulers from the Egyptian throne. So how does the story relate to the article? That's easy. The article proposed a theory of how the Hycos came to power. The bottom line of the theory as presented in the abstract is intermarriage. I will not agree or disagree with the bottom line conclusion. However, I do believe the story is much more complex and complicated as well as deceitful. The study uses a method that involves the analysis of isotopes found within the teeth of individuals. This analysis develops a fairly complete lifetime highlight of the individual. Throughout our lifetime, the water we drink and the food we eat leaves traces within our bodies. Some of these traces are stored in the isotopes of the teeth. Thus, by knowing the traces left by certain water and food sources from various areas and comparing them to the isotope record in the individual, you can, in a general manner, track the geographic progression of the individual's life. So in this study, researchers have collected samples from remains of individuals of a presumed Hycos burial area. These samples, after analysis, have verified that the females are foreigners to Egypt. I have not read the actual study, so I'm unsure why Stone Page's abstract specifically mentions females as the study subjects. I also felt to see a direct immediate connection between finding foreign remains in a burial site with intermarriage between these four and royal families. The remains, according to the abstract, are not being found in royal Egyptian burial tombs or burial grounds of high-ranking Egyptian officials. 
both of which would more significantly imply or support a theory of intermarriage. Now, this is not to say that intermarriage between Egyptians, even high-ranking or royal, did not occur. It did. This is merely a statement that, based on what I've read, is a huge leap from finding foreigners buried in Egypt to royal intermarriage with the same foreigners, especially in a society as diverse as Egypt. For the sake of argument here, I'm going to suppose that the study is more in-depth, more broad-reaching, and more substantial than the presentation on stone pages. With that set up in place, here is my argument. This very much oversimplifies the history and the circumstances and the situation that led to the history. If the high coast were mercenaries that some theorize, and whose theories and arguments I find valid and compelling, and they are the same people's that would be referred to as the Jews. It changes the whole story of the Jews and their time in Egypt. And honestly, the Hykos as the Jews makes much more sense if you're going to call the stories of the Old Testament telling of the Jewish escape and the taking of the Promised Land history and not myth. There was a visible separation between the high coast rulers and the true Egyptians, even if they intermarried and shared power. It has to be supposed that such differing cultures would have found it hard to coexist under the best of circumstances, and the turbulent times of the Sea People invasions would have not been those times. There would have been desperation on the Egyptian side and greed on the High Coast side. The High Coast culture would have seen the Egyptian royalty as ripe for the picking, and the Egyptians would have not realized the deceit until it was too late. The separation of the nation displays the turbulent and finally unwanted relations with the High Coast pharaohs and the true Egyptians. Eventually, Upper Egypt would mount a revolution that would successfully expel the Hykos from their lands and their throne, which if you follow the Hykos or the Jews theory, would be great for Egypt and not so great for Canaan. This line of supposition also explains certain details in the storyline of the Exodus. The biblical version states that the Pharaoh tells Moses to take his people and lead them out of Egypt. Then, as they are crossing the Red Sea, the Pharaoh's army is hot on their heels. If the true expulsion of the Jewish people were the actual expulsion of the high coast, then it was not divine miracles that led to their release. It was instead military defeat that led to their fleeing. There are other theories claiming that the Pharaoh, after securing the defeat of the high coast people, ordered them to peacefully remove themselves from the land. Instead, they proceeded to rape and pillage their way to the border, and thus the Pharaoh sent his army to force the Hykos to leave without further destruction to Egypt. Reflecting on these theories from a broader view, there does seem to be enough logic and reason to support proper and in-depth exploration into the validity. The conclusions that could be supposed from what has been presented thus far are that Jewish mercenaries entered Egypt peacefully, either to have a respite from famine and drought in their normal stomping grounds, or as hired defenders of the Delta. Having been wanderers, probably with very little culture of their own, they found a pill in the sufficient sophisticated civilization that they now found themselves a part of. It probably would have been a bittersweet appeal, as there would have been envy and ambition to have what the Egyptians had, and resentment at the truth of being outsiders without such culture and history of their own. In addition, as the high coast gained the supreme power of the throne, the sour taste in the mouth of still not being considered Egyptian by the natives created animosity. 
This animosity can be seen in the ruling style of the Hykos and the split of the land back into Upper and Lower Egypt. It would have angered and injured the egos of the Hykos to attain the throne and still have the loyalty of the Egyptian people and especially their priests rest squarely in the weakened pharaoh of Upper Egypt whom they claimed was the divine ruler of the land. The Egyptians had secret ceremonies that passed power from pharaoh to successor that were never shared with the Hykos, insult to injury. For all their shortcomings and their inability to understand Egyptian culture and society and truly become a part of it, you can see in many Jewish traditions the shadows of unrequited Egyptian ambitions. It was an Egyptian custom to marry first your sister for your purity of inheritance. In ancient times, and still even in some cultures today, sister is defined as a female relation that can be anyone from whom is a full biological sibling to someone whom is the offspring of the sibling of your parent. Also, the similarities between Egyptian temple layout and the Jewish temple are too specific to be considered coincidence. The very militaristic aspect of Jewish history from the entrance into Canaan supports the Hykos to Jews theory, as it's not logical to presume that a whole people self-identified as suppressed, subjected victims of tyrannical Egyptian rule, living as slaves for generations, could, in a mere generation, become an army capable of expelling whole nations from their claimed promised land. No matter the final truth, the story of Hykos will surely surely be one of great interest and drama and surprises, and hopefully this highlight has piqued your interest enough to encourage you to dust off your curiosity and check out their story, their rise to power, and the eventual downfall, and to compare what you learn to the stories of the history of the Jewish people, and decide for yourself. Thank you for joining us on the journey of the story of us. If you would like to know more, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find us on our blog, Random Thought Provocator, on Blogger. Thank you, and have a great day.